Hello, I'm Abram Van Ingen. And I'm Joanne Diaz. And this is Poetry for All. In this podcast, we read a poem, discuss it, learn from it, and then read it one more time. Today, we're delighted to have Stephanie Burt as our guest. Stephanie Burt has been described as one of the most influential poetry critics of her generation. In addition to her own books of poetry, she has several works of criticism and has been a finalist for the National Book Critics Circle Award for her work. Her latest book is called Don't Read Poetry, a book about how to read poems, which does exactly what we hope to do in this podcast, introduce to a very broad audience ways of reading, understanding, enjoying, and entering into great poems from throughout the ages. We're so delighted to have Stephanie Burt join us today. Thank you for being here. Thank you so much. It's really an honor to be here. You end the book with um, two poems in particular that you love and that you think exemplify lots of different ways of entering into poems. One is this poem by Adrian Rich called Power. And that's the poem we'd love to talk about more in depth today. Would you do us the honor of reading it? Power. And this poem first appeared in a book in 1978. Living in the earth deposits of our history. Today, a backhoe divulged out of a crumbling flank of earth. One bottle. Amber. Perfect. A hundred-year-old cure for fever or melancholy a tonic for living on this earth in the winters of this climate. Today I was reading about Marie Curie. She must have known she suffered from radiation sickness, her body bombarded for years by the element she had purified. It seems she denied to the end the source of the cataracts on her eyes, the cracked and separating skin of her finger ends till she could no longer hold a test tube or a pencil. She died a famous woman, denying her wounds, denying her wounds came from the same source as her power. Thank you. So those who are listening will not have the poem necessarily in front of them. And so I think it's important to point out that it's four stanzas long, each of them different lengths. And the first stanza is just this first line, living in the earth deposits of our history. What do you make of that first line as a kind of intro to this poem? Well, first, since you're describing graphic form, I would add that Rich did something that was by no means unheard of, but fairly unusual for poetry from her era, which is that she put in these giant midline spaces. And they're the kind of spaces you normally see in Anglo-Saxon poetry when it appears on the page that indicate a pause that is structurally important to that line, but that doesn't rise to the level of a line break. Um, Living in the earth deposits of our history. That tells you we're going to read a poem about the past, it tells you that archaeological ways of thinking about history, where it accretes, you get one layer and then another layer and then another layer, are going to be important to Rich rather than, say, purely narrative ways in which an action causes another action or causes another action, uh, and rather than single discrete symbols that don't change or open up. It tells you that we're going to do some digging and we're going to read a poem that operates archaeologically that asks, how we got to this point by digging back into the past. It suggests that the poet is going to get our hands dirty, as it were. And it suggests with that preposition in, normally you'd say we were living on the earth deposits. If you live in Rome, you are living perhaps amid history and you are 
walking around on top of many layers of civilization, but you're not living inside them unless uh, you know the ground opens up. Rich suggests almost that we've fallen into our history and we can't get out. You know, as I hear you talking about that first line, I can't help but think about something you mentioned in your book,、uh, which gets me to the second stanza as well, which is this notion that a poem does many things for many readers. Like the best poems, the、mm-hmm. ones that really stand the test of time, they're capable of not only speaking to their particular moments or material conditions,、mm-hmm. but are able to speak beyond. And and I hear you. Um, suggesting that in your reading of the first line, and then if you look at the second stanza, I I couldn't help but read it not only in the moment that、um, that Adrienne Rich is writing, not only in the moment that she's remembering of Marie Curie, but as we read it in 2021, it has a different kind of resonance. Right today, a backhoe divulged out of a crumbling flank of earth, one bottle, amber, perfect. A hundred-year-old cure for fever or melancholy, a tonic for living on this earth in the winters of this climate. What's beautiful about that phrase, "this climate," is that the "this climate" can change depending on who you are and when you read the poem. And to imagine a hundred-year-old cure for the fever when reading it in a pandemic is kind of interesting to me. I don't know if you felt that as you were writing about it or as you read it now, or. I, it's very transferable, and it's a poem that's about its own transferability.、Uh, a poem that suggests that works of art and、mm. short poems like this one might be buried and then divulged or dug up or revealed by literal archaeology or by other people investigating the past. And of course, that literally happens not just to American artifacts that are lost a hundred or two hundred years ago, but to artifacts and poems from. Millennia ago, in in digs elsewhere,、um, uh, she was not publicly an advocate for people with disabilities or for people with chronic illness, but she very much had those things. She was in at least intermittent serious pain from rheumatoid arthritis almost throughout her adult life. She walked with a、mm-hmm. cane. There are letters in the biography where. Her friends and her then husband are going on marches, and she says, "I wish you well. I'm 100 behind you in spirit, but I can't physically march because I can't stand up for that long."、Mm-hmm. This is a poem that is about living with disabilities, as well as a poem about gender, and a poem、mm-hmm. about looking at the past, and a poem about being famous and being a great writer. It is extremely self-conscious. About the talents that it displays for living on this earth and for writing poems like this one. Yeah, I was just going to ask you about what you said about disability,、um, about it, it, those middle two stanzas、um, are really powerful because of what you're saying and the way you're reading them. If if I could, I'd just read them once again so our listeners can hear them. Today, I was reading about Marie Curie. She must have known she suffered from radiation sickness. Her body bombarded for years by the element she had purified. It seems she denied to the end the source of the cataracts on her eyes, the cracked and separating skin of her finger ends, till she could no longer hold a test tube or a pencil. Those are such visceral,、uh, image-driven lines.、Um, there were two things I, I wanted to ask you about. 
uh, two little phrases. She must have known she suffered. It seems she denied to the end. I, I'm curious about how she's setting up the suffering of Marie Curie and, and what you think of how she describes it. She is setting up the radiation sickness that killed Marie Curie as a symbol that resonates in many, many ways. She is setting it up as a version of, of patriarchy, a, an unacknowledged or underacknowledged pervasive illness that has been advanced to some extent by industrial civilization and that kills people and hurts people all the time, especially women, but not only women. Um, Marie Curie's wounds mm -hmm. came from the same source as her power, literally because she achieved intellectual and social power by studying the radiation that killed her. If the radiation is patriarchy, then writers like Rich and many others are wounded by the same thing uh, that we write about, right? Um, we get power. We get the power to write books like Diving into the Wreck from the thing that hurts us. And her wounds came from the same source as her power becomes from that point of view an inspiring slogan that has, I think, often been used in a, a context of, of feminism and of, of gender-related liberation uh, to say, you know, acknowledge and, and see that the thing that hurts you can give you strength, right? Um, and that's not wrong. That's right there in the poem. Um, however, it's not just a poem about how Curie's wounds came from the same source as her power. It's also a poem about her own denial. Well, just to draw in a few of the the words that kind of draw out what you're saying. So first of all, just just to note that denial happens three times in this poem. Denied, denying, and denying happens three uh -huh. and times. I, I know where you're going with that. Yeah. So that we there's a famous story of Peter, right? Denying Christ three times. But, there, but also, but also a famous poem by Elizabeth Bishop called Roosters uh, that uses the story of Peter. Uh, and Bishop says, deny, deny, deny is not all the roosters cry. And Rich knew Bishop very well. She would have been, I believe, at the same year she's working on this poem, she might have already begun to write about Bishop. But I'm super interested in this word divulged that happens in the second stanza. So one way to read this poem is, is that you've got four sort of almost disconnected stanzas that connect. And it's kind of um, one of the things you talk about in your book is the way difficulty can draw you into a poem. And one of the difficulties of this poem is figuring out how the whole thing hangs together. Yeah. You've got one line in the beginning, living in the earth deposits of our history. Then the next stanza begins with today. And it's about a backhoe pulling out a, a you know, a, a bottle of amber. And then suddenly we're talking about Marie Curie in the third stanza and the fourth stanza. But this word divulged, the backhoe divulged, it, 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 when you divulge something, it's sort of like you tell a secret or, or you, um, it's, it's sort of the opposite of denying something, yes. divulging something. And, and yet where the poem goes after that is, is into denial. So I'm wondering if you could think about uh, and talk about the relationship between the first part of this poem, which is just about this backhoe and this heap of, of things, and the second part of this poem, which is about Marie Curie and, and um, how she denied the very thing that gave her strength was, was yeah. wounding her. Yeah. Well, Rich is writing and is often writing against denial. Uh, Rich often thought of herself in the 70s. That's what Diving Into the Wreck, the poem is about, too, as someone who was making a difficult journey downward or a dangerous journey downward uh, or a dramatic journey downward as the, the steam shovel makes to uncover secrets, to bring things to light. 
Mm -hmm. And Rich is bringing to light as a biographer or a history of science essay, whatever she was reading would bring to light, the secret connection or the unacknowledged connection between Curie's science and her suffering. It probably mm -hmm. wouldn't have been a secret by the 70s. We know what radiation sickness looks like. But Rich is doing the divulging. And denial is what poetry should not do for Rich. And divulging is one of the things that Rich's kinds of poems do. Divulging is also something that confessional poetry does, poetry that is focused primarily on the shame or the suffering of the actual poet who wrote it. And that mm -hmm. was a kind of poetry that Rich could have written and chose not to write. When when I hear your, your insights about this poem, uh, two things really keep rising up. And the first is, this is a brilliant, magnificent poem. It is in no way a failure. But the poem is concerned with how poems can fail, right? Uh, and that's something we've discussed multiple times in this podcast. I feel like the best poems point to the fact that they may very likely fail. Um, and there's something you write in your book that has really, it was very memorable for me when I came across this phrase, poems embody problems we have not yet solved. That might sound counterintuitive when you first read it because you think, well, shouldn't the poet have the answer? Shouldn't the poet be the one who's the, the seer, the maker, the one with the insight? But maybe the insight is precisely that, that we can embody and grapple with and negotiate these problems and maybe not have a solution, but maybe just acknowledging that is a kind of solace or tonic, right? It is, it is a divulgence of a problem that is at the same time denied. And that um, leads us to this final stanza that then frames it for us, gives us a kind of perception of the relationship between vulnerability and power, wounds and the things that give us strength. And so we have these last four incredible lines. She died, a famous woman, denying her wounds. Denying her wounds came from the same source as her power. And she's doing so much in those lines, but partly what she's doing and part of the power of those lines is in the way that they're actually shaped and framed. So she died, a famous woman, denying is one line. Her wounds is the next line. Denying is the next line. And then her wounds came from the same source as her power. When you move into that last stanza, what, what comes to mind for you about how she's working out her poem in those four lines? Partly it's a decision you make in performance if you're reading it aloud. There are a lot of things you can do with that repetition. She's got some great partial syntax going on there. Is she denying that the wounds exist? Well, maybe for a while. But then when the phrase is repeated and, and filled out, even when she couldn't deny that she was wounded, she was denying the source of her wounds. Yeah. And so movable, as you, as you mentioned before. I mean, the wounds, we all have our own wounds, right? Um, we all have our own sort of tonics from history that we turn to. Uh, we all live in our own sort of winters and climates. And so, again, yeah, as you say, the symbols of these poems are so movable from person to person. And that's part of the power of this poem itself is that it draws you into an examination in, in a certain sense of your own self and your own history and your own wounds and your own sources of power at the same time as it says uh, with a kind of sense of self-reproach, be, be wary, <laughs> be careful, uh, take, a, take a closer look. Can you read the poem one more time for us? Power by Adrienne Rich. Living in the earth deposits of our history, 
Today, a backhoe divulged out of a crumbling flank of earth, one bottle, amber, perfect, a hundred-year-old cure for fever or melancholy, a tonic for living on this earth in the winters of this climate. Today I was reading about Marie Curie. She must have known she suffered from radiation sickness, her body bombarded for years by the element she had purified. It seems she denied to the end the source of the cataracts on her eyes, the cracked and separating skin of her finger ends, till she could no longer hold a test tube or a pencil. She died a famous woman denying her wounds denying her wounds came from the same source as her power. Thank you. Thank you for reading that. You can learn more about Adrian Rich and Stephanie Burt's new book, Don't Read Poetry, on the Poetry for All website at poetryforall.fireside.fm. And please remember to follow us on Twitter, Facebook, and Instagram. Thank you for listening.